introducing our guest speaker, Keith Rosen, who is here today to Hello. open book and answer some of our questions. Keith is the, Keith, are you on? Can you hear me? I, I can hear you, yes. You, you will be seeing me so in, Keith. you're going to be seeing me in one second. worldwide. Since 1989, Keith has delivered his programs to over 3 million sales leaders in six continents and in over 75 countries. Inc. Magazine and Fast Company have both named Keith one of the most influential executive coaches, and he's been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine and Fortune Magazine and the Wall Street Journal. Keith is the author of Own Your Own Day, Coaching Salespeople into Sales Champions, one of my favorites, um, which is also a number one best-selling sales management coaching book on Amazon, and Sales Leadership, which was named the 2018 Amazon Sales Book of the Year. So a little context for all of you. Um, Keith has become a household name in our central region, and um, we actually think that Steve might be a little bit of a groupie of you, Keith, um, but... <laughs> the RMs as well. And um, he's also been part of our kind of leadership coaching journey. And um, I, I know that his thoughts and um, techniques have become so inspirational and helpful. There's actually been talk about getting bracelets made that say, what would Keith do? So that when we're in those, Keith, in those coaching moments, we, we can have that inspiration. So um, no, no, pre no pressure at all, Courtney, no pressure, right? Right now in um, Newport, Rhode Island, okay. if you look at all of the backgrounds, yes. um, and I guess Mother Nature is saying, don't worry, you're not missing anything. It's actually raining here in the east, so it would be kind of a cloudy, dismal day in, in uh, Newport anyway. So we're doing it virtual. And um, so welcome, Keith. Thank you. Great to be with you guys again. And with a new team. This is going to be exciting. in that re-entry phase and getting back out there talking to clients again. So I wanted to ask you, um, just, you know, being kind of relevant to the times, what are some of those new issues and challenges sales professionals are faced with that didn't exist before this uh, COVID thing? Yeah, you know what? And, and I uh, just from last session, we had such a great discussion. I wanted to make sure uh, I covered some new thoughts. So if I'm looking down, I'm just looking down at a couple of things that uh, I want to make sure I capture. And by the way, Courtney, is my uh, audio coming in okay? It's coming in great. Perfect. I can hear you fine. All right, perfect. Okay, because it keeps popping up on... Okay, there we go. So uh, in terms of the biggest challenges today, I, I think the one thing that we could all agree on is, you know, we're disconnected. We feel disconnected from our clients. We feel disconnected from our prospects. Uh, especially for use in meeting with people face to face at any level of, uh, of, of cadence. Uh, these are the things that most organizations and most industries, um, are still rapidly trying to adjust. And 
the bottom line is no company has it right right now. And I always share with my clients, don't feel like you're alone. Don't feel like you're the only ones still trying to figure this out. Let me be clear. No organization has yet. And I'm talking about the global companies that I work with. So, you know, it's, it's this to me, while it presents challenges, of course, as a coach, it also prevents, presents some really, really amazing opportunities. So where we now have no idea what our customer's buying process looks like, their procurement process looks like, which by the way, um, if we're assuming that they are the same, then we're making a gross assumption. But this is an opportunity to really hit the reset button with your customers and your clients and, and, and build a deeper relationship. And, and that's where I see the greatest salespeople focusing on right now is how are they adapting to this new world, which we're not going backwards. We're only moving forwards. So how can we evolve as, as our workplace is evolving? And the greatest salespeople that I know are, are making that transition and adapting, not, not resisting. And that's why I said, you know, speaking to a client the other day, to me, the word of the year is resilience. You know, it, it's probably the single most important characteristic that every single person, especially salespeople today, need to possess. So those are the things that, of course, from there, we could expand on that. But uh, really, that's, that's, that is what I see is tr companies and, and salespeople are coming to me and saying, Keith, I don't know how to sell anymore. I, I, I don't know how to sell in a remote world. My customers, I don't even know if they know how to even buy in a remote world. So, the you're, you're, and we'll get to this, the role of the salesperson is literally changed overnight. So, um, yeah, so that's that's a couple of thoughts on top of mine. Yeah, so that, that's really, um, you know, you're kind of, uh, I think you're speaking so so closely to all of the thoughts that we're having and, and a lot of those um, those things that you're talking about are, um, you know, top of mind. I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a changed world for sure. And, um, you know, I think going out there and having that unknown is um, is scary, right? There's, there's a fear going out there for that. How can you, can you give us some tips on how we would overcome that, that fear or, or even make, you know, that fear somewhat of an ally to us as we go out? Sure. So we're just going to dive right into the inner game. Okay. Courtney, uh, my favorite topics. If you think about fear, most people's initial reaction is that's a bad thing. That's a negative thing, or it's a sign of weakness. And I know myself, I've used the phrase become fearless and I'm a very literal person being an author. However, I don't use that word, uh, as literal as I mean it to become fearless means an absence of fear. No, there will always be a presence of fear. There will always be a presence of uncertainty and doubt, especially today. So it's not that we have to figure out a way to, 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 um, uh, uh, um, resist the fear or, uh, uh, tolerate it, but how can we make it our ally? How can we make fear our ally, not our adversary? How could we look at fear as our, uh, a strength and not a weakness? So if we look at fear real quick, and again, I'm trying to laser a 45 minute conversation in two minutes here. Uh, there's, there's two parts of fear. And this is why, excuse me, this keeps popping up here. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. I'm working on two monitors. All right. This is why um, when I share this belief, a lot of people have a reaction and the belief that I want to share with you, which truly is transformational, not just in sales, but in your life is what you fear isn't real. 
what you fear, let me even go so far as to say, what you fear is never real. That which you fear is never real. Now, most people hear that and they say, Keith, you lost me. There, there's no way. I mean, I have literal fears that are real. I've had things happen to me in the past that I do not want to happen again in, in my future. I fear these things. I fear providing for my family. I fear being able to, uh, you know, um, maintain my, my productivity. I fear not being able to collaborate better with my team or I fear not being able to connect deeper with my customers. We can, we can go through all of these fears and I'm going to say to each of you that which you fear is never real. And the reason why I say that is because most people don't realize fear is not one dimensional, but two dimensionals. There is that which you fear and there's the feeling of fear. Okay. So let's talk about the feeling of fear. The feeling of fear is very real. It manifests physiologically in our body. For those people that have a fear of public speaking, which is most people on the planet, uh, their hands start sweating. You know, they get, you know, pangs in the back of their neck, butterflies. Those are real, real physiological manifestations of the feeling of fear. Now, let's talk about that which you fear. Now, I'm going to go a little deeper on everyone here. Think about the three points of time. All right. We got the past. We got the present. We got the future. All right. Now, um, where do we all live? No, let me let me make it easy for everyone. Do we all agree that we physically exist in the moment? Okay. So think about where you live, though. Most organizations, because you as salespeople have a target on your back, you're result driven. You're focused on the result. You're focused on your KPIs, your commitments, your scorecards, everything that you need to do to contribute to your customers, contribute to the company and achieve your personal and business goals. Okay. So now we're thinking about this fear thing, right? And we're thinking, oh, what if I don't hit the goal? What if I don't hit this? What if I can't provide for my family? And we're always going to the negatives. Now, here's the thing about fear. The reason why I say that which you fear is never real is because even if that which you fear is something that may happen in five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, a month, a year, it's in the future. Where do we live? We live in the present. So if we're, if we're mentally truly being in the present, the fear can't touch you because all fear is, is a negative assumption. I look at assumptions and fear and angst, stress, overwhelm. They're all synonyms. Okay. What's an assumption? A belief you hold, typically something that happened in the past that you then project into the future as a negative expectation of what you don't want to happen. What's fear? It's something that you don't want to happen, often based on a past experience that you project in the future. Okay. So how many people do you know that might be afraid of dogs right, or, or animals? And when you ask their story, what will they tell you? They'll say, well, when I was younger, I got bit by a dog and uh, past experience projected in future expectation. Well, I don't want that to happen again. Where are we not living everyone? We're not living in the moment. We're living in the future. Occupational hazard with targets on our back. How can we not be result driven? Well, fear also lives in the future. And the only way you can eradicate fear is recognize the feeling is real. That which you fear is not. And rather than focus on the negative expectation or assumption of what you don't want to happen, try this one. Focus on the positive expectation, what you do want to happen, because there are this universal law, 
what you focuses what you focus on grows and now more than ever we are tested our true essence of our character is tested more than ever because after all we don't get tested on our good days that's why they call them good days we get tested on our challenging days and this is when fear can truly become either all-consuming or can be your ally that is showing up to teach you something about yourself that you still haven't mastered and if you look at fear that way now it becomes your friend okay now it becomes your greatest teacher and living in the moment will keep that fear at bay one final thought on this and it's good to see a lot of people there taking yoga i do a lot of hot yoga myself and uh if 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 you really want to make sure you don't fall back into the fear trap and this is a really important subject so i'm glad we're touching on it i want you to stop and i want to ask yourself right now i'm going to ask you a question right now if i'm looking at everyone in the eye send me your personal vision statement send me your family vision statement that's a new one uh oh and by the way send me your core values and send me your top three goals of the year, personally and professionally. I'm gonna go off on a limb and I coach people on not making assumptions that most of you, if not all of you, cannot send me all that. You might say, Keith, I have something like that. Oh, I did that exercise 10 years ago, but I haven't looked at it since then. Or I'm like, you're thinking, what? what's a personal vision? I'm thinking corporate vision, maybe team vision, family vision, personal vision. So here's my point, everyone. We are clear with what we don't wanna happen in our lives. But if you don't have a personal vision and your values that are clear of what you need, well, what do you want to bring into your life? So if we know what we don't want, but we're not clear with our, with what we do want, our dreams, our goals don't stand a chance. So if anything, I could share with you, take the time to focus on what you do want. Take the time to write that personal vision. And by the way, if, um, uh, uh, Courtney, uh, if you can just shoot me a reminder, I have a great template to send to everyone on how you can start crafting your personal vision. That would, that would be good because I'm, I've got too much going on here to take the notes on all of that. I feel like I've got some homework to do now. We all do. important homework to do. So one of the things that you said that kind of stuck out at me was that salespeople always kind of assume negative things. And uh, I think sometimes salespeople, right, we can be our own worst enemies out oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. So what are some of those costly assumptions that salespeople make that really sabotage their sales efforts? So last time when I was speaking to the team, I, I threw a few off the top of my head. I took the time to start actually writing them down. I stopped after 50. I stopped at 50. So I know we only have an hour together. But, I, but I, before I share with you the assumptions, I want to share something that is a mindset that you could take with you right now and keep in front of you, in front of your line of vision. And it's very simple. Don't sell the way you buy. Don't sell the way you buy. Okay? Because in every conversation, and let's be clear, the best salespeople right now are the best coaches for their clients. And we'll talk about the top characteristics shortly. Uh, Courtney, I want to make sure we cover that. But mm -hmm. when, when you're talking about working with your clients and looking at um, how we're working with them now, 
by default, we're making countless assumptions every day. We make assumptions about our peers. We make assumptions about our boss. Our manager makes assumptions about us. We make assumptions about our customers. Customers are making assumptions about us. It's an evil, evil cycle. And assumptions are the root cause of all evil, misforecasts, lost sales, damaged relationships, departmental silos. I can keep going. So the one thing I want to start with before we get into the specific assumptions is don't sell the way you buy. And let me be clear with what I mean by that. And I'll put myself in a situation. If I'm buying anything of, you know, substantial amount of money, I, well, my wife would argue even if I'm buying a, a pair of, you know, I had to buy a new pedal for my bike. There really aren't that many options, but yet it still took me an hour and a half to figure out how to do it. So, oh, by the way, did I mention I'm a recovering perfectionist, everyone? I'm sure nobody on this call is a perfectionist, right? That's the other team I'm working with next week, right? My sarcasm's <laughs> translating, right? So here's where I'm coming from. I'm a meticulous shopper. If I'm buying something, I'm going to know more about that product or service by the time I'm ready to buy it, probably more so than the person selling it to me. So now imagine if I sell this way. So uh, Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, um, now listen, uh, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, <laughs> You, you love working with us. You love working with Capital One. Um, clearly, we're, we're, your, we're your provider of choice. We'd work with you. And I understand right now you're in that, you know, vendor, um, you know, uh, evaluation process again. So, you know what? Here's what I would do. Um, go out and speak to like five or six other vendors. Get as many other competitive bids and, and, and RFPs as you can get. Don't worry about calling me back. Just call me back when you're ready. That wouldn't go over well if I sold the way I buy. You cannot assume your, your customers buy the, using the same variables and factors that you do. And if you ever wonder why you're sitting there and feeling, where did this sale go south? Where did I miss this upselling or cross-selling or referral opportunity? I'm going to tell you right now, it's due to an assumption you made. So you're either assessing and asking the right questions or you're making assumptions. So what are the assumptions we make? I just, I had, I had to write some of these down. Uh, they started getting good uh, and really creative, but we're real simple. We assume what our customers know about us. We assume what they don't know about us. We assume that they like us. We assume they don't like us. We assume their buying cycle. We assume their buying cycle hasn't changed. We assume their procurement process hasn't changed. We assume that the people that are part of the decision-making process hasn't changed or conversely, Take every one of those assumptions, go to the antithesis, and now we have two sets of assumptions. Um, what else? Um, we assume that our prospects and customers are struggling and they really don't want to hear from us right now. Or conversely, they do want to hear from us right now. And I can assure you, they do. So as you could see, I mean, I just gave you, what, 20 assumptions right there? The only way you eradicate assumptions is by asking questions. So another great mantra for salespeople is when you're coaching your customers, sell and lead with questions, not answers. That's, that's, that's great. great. That's, that's great advice. advice. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I think salespeople are our own enemies. And um, I, I, I know that, that that's, that's going to stick, stick with me. Well, you know what? I mean, if you even think about it, really what you and I are talking about it here and, and said a different way is salespeople actually wind up creating their own assumptions. Think about it. And excuse me, they're creating their assumptions. And as a result, salespeople are now creating their own objections. Salespeople create the, I mean, think about that. That's insane. We are creating the very objections we want to avoid 
because we walk into the relationship thinking, oh, I know it's going to be a rate issue or a price issue, or I know it's going to, you know, they've been working with this one uh, vendor for so long. It's going to be a tough hill battle. Those are all assumptions. And we will start trying to, and this is where, and I'm laughing out of, out of sadness. Matt, salespeople will then start overcoming the, the objections that the customer didn't even bring up in the first place. I've never seen that done before. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's the other company. So, that, that's not other companies. Uh, so, if, I, if you're thinking about the customer experience, you're thinking about the yeah, and this is the one I was giving a lot of thought this morning. I'm, I'm most inspired in the morning. And I, I created this list. And again, I, I'll happily share this with everyone. This is it's brand new, new, new content just popped in my head this morning. And I wrote down this, the six C's. I'm, you guys are the first to hear this. So I, I don't know. Let, let me run it by you. I feel like I'm a comedian working in a, like a small shop running by my material before I go out. Uh, we're, we're <laughs> you guys, you guys are easy though. You guys are awesome. Um, so here we go. You ready? Care, curiosity, coach, challenge, communicate intentions and collaborate. So those are the ones that I see the greatest sales leaders are possessing today. And I'm just going to take a moment just to break a couple of these down for everyone and care enough to connect. Uh, one of the things I mentioned earlier, and I, I could never say this enough, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when I started my practice and had the privilege of working with hundreds of thousands of, of sales leaders and managers on six continents and in 75 countries uh i had the ability to i mean i'm i'm a you know my passion of culture and religion and people you know drove me to want to learn and wherever i go it's just been such an amazing opportunity not just to learn about culture but to, to connect with people on such a deeper level and you know the greatest salespeople are not the ones that that are sitting there and just pitching as as many of you know the greatest salespeople are the ones that are leading with questions rather than answers the greatest salespeople as i was saying before 30 years ago when i started coaching i always said i predicted you know the future of selling will also be coaching the greatest salespeople will become the best coaches to coach your clients to succeed well now it's not the future anymore it's now your competitive edge is now so now is an opportunity to shift the way you're engaging with your customers because that's what they want. You know, that's what they really want. And when, when you, sh when you are asking questions and demonstrate a deeper level of caring, and I'm not just talking about your business, I'm talking about, you know, what's going on with your life? How are you adjusting to this, you know, pandemic? How's your family doing? Uh, what are some of the, the routines that have been working for you? Because I'm, I'm looking to learn to try to balance my life as much as everyone else. And all of a sudden you're actually having a personal conversation with someone. You're fostering a personal connection. And this is what salespeople have never done, or at least to this depth before, where they need to. And the only way you can connect is if you coach, because if you're coaching, 
you're demonstrating that you care because you're asking questions. And on this note, before I move on, I'm really glad I wrote this stuff down this time, is I also have, um, Courtney, I have another resource I want to send everyone. It's actually um, an in-depth conversation that every salesperson needs to have with their customers. And it's not just about, okay, well, tell me how your business model has changed and tell me how your procurement process has changed and how you're making buying decisions. It's, it's let me connect with you as a human being. You know, we are, we are, we are human beings. We are not meant to be isolated. We are social animals. Um, we, we are not meant to be isolated without connection. People are starving for connection. Okay. I know I am. And, you know, we have our little safe bubble of our, fortunately, if we have our friends and family and even some clients we can meet, but, you know, it's still our little bubble, you know, and I, I miss my clients and I miss my travel and I miss giving my clients big hugs and, and seeing them have those epiphany moments uh, in front of them. So, you know, it, it's, it's that level of deep caring that, that we have to figure out. And it's not like you have to do this on your own. I already have the answer. But to figure out how am I going to rebuild a deeper relationship with clients that I may never see face to face for another year or so. And and that is going to be your competitive edge. I, I actually love this. And, and, and one of the other leaders typed into the, the chat your, your, your um, trait. And, and I can't, I can't think, think of one, one that's more important than the other. But one that stands, stands out to me is, is coaching. And, and I don't think our salespeople always think of themselves as a coach. And, you know, we just actually, right prior to, to um, you coming on, we went through um, process mm -hmm. and talked about having that process. And part of that is coaching our clients through that process. So, to transition here a little bit, you recently mm -hmm. wrote an, an interesting blog about the one-degree mindset and becoming a process-driven mm -hmm. thinker. Can you expand on that and why that is so important to the sellers? Because I think that would so reinforce the conversations we just had. Yeah, and and please make sure we don't we don't forget because there's one really important thing on that list of six. I want to make sure I just one more I want to go deeper on, and it's the challenging our customers part. Going just make sure we we come back to that because I don't I don't want to step over that. Um, the the one degree uh, and and it's it's interesting. The idea came to me I think when I was in. Maybe, maybe trying to think Brazil, uh, several years back, as this happened, gosh, almost 10 years ago. Uh, some of you re may remember um, the horrific uh, event that happened in Atlanta where um, the, uh, it, was a, it was a rainstorm. And, you know, down south, people just don't know how to drive in the bad weather. And that's not an assumption. That's, that's what I was told by the news. You know, I had no assumption around that. And uh, it, the, the, it rained. Okay, the the temperature dropped significantly. The roads froze. Okay, now now I call this the one degree mindset. Um, this then resulted in thousands of people being stranded overnight. The roads shut down. People abandoned their cars. Okay, couldn't go anywhere. Children were stranded in their schools. Parents couldn't go pick up their children. Uh, children slept with the teachers in school. Um, people, again, abandoned their cars, left them on the roads. Uh, people walking by aimlessly. Neighbors were coming out and saying, you know, help and come on in. Uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars in damage. My point of all of this is this. Water freezes at 30, what? 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. If it was one degree, one degree warmer, this wouldn't have happened. 
So to me, when, when you look at something, you know, we're always looking for big change and massive change. And especially today, we're trying to all figure out how to, how to shift this, this model overnight. And that could be really overwhelming. You know, it's like, it's like turning a battleship. But, but how do you really make long lasting change? How do you change a culture? How do you shift the success you have with your customers? It's one conversation at a time. That's it. It's one conversation at a time. And it's that next one call you make or that one additional response or that, that additional email or that, that additional acknowledgement or compliment that you give to your peer or to your, even your manager, because they're looking for it too. Um, that, that one additional acknowledgement or thank you, it can, it can exponentially and will exponentially make an impact, not only on your life, but on everyone else's life. And the thing about this one degree mindset is, is okay, Keith. So basically if I could just move the needle one degree exponentially, I will achieve my success compounded over time, which is exactly correct. Except where are you managing all this stuff? Well, the greatest sales leaders I know have mastered their time management. It's my other book, Own Your Day. And the greatest sales leaders have, have created a daily and weekly routine that they follow from the time they wake up in the morning to the time they go to sleep. And that not only includes the specific and measurable activities that they need to engage in every day to achieve their business goals, but also, and here's the other critical point, the activities and the things that you do to keep your life in balance, in joy, health, and harmony. And inevitably, when I ask any anyone, any leader salesperson, do you have that? Do you have that routine? 99% of the people in 30 years said, no, I don't. Well, especially now when our workplace is our home place, it is more important than ever to be able to set boundaries at home. How are you turning off work at the end of the day? How do you separate your, your focus on your, on your, on your work with, with, with the focus on yourself? How good at you are you now at practicing not just self-care, but extreme self-care? Are you taking care of yourself now? Okay. Um, how well have you set boundaries with your family or kids, if you have children, uh, of when you're working and, and, and when you're not? Um, how have you leaned on your team and your peers and your manager for support, not waiting for them to come to you, but for you to be proactive enough to go to them to seek out what you need? Okay, these are the things that need to change. These are the conversations we need to have with people, with our families, with our customers, with our, with our peers and with our managers. So, you know, that to me is probably one of the most critical conversations that unfortunately people aren't having. Why? Because no one knows how to figure this stuff out. That's why I keep kicking out this content because no one, no one on this planet, no leader has ever dealt with this before. Okay. Yeah, sure. So, I uh, let me let me just share a quick story with everyone. I, I'm going back years ago. Uh, uh, probably in the beginning of my career, I had an opportunity to um, deliver a keynote and. Uh, and to this day, I'll tell everyone, everyone who knows me knows I hate delivering keynotes. I, I don't like how impersonal it is. I, when I deliver any type of sales or leadership learning program, it's always face to face so I can connect with a group at an intimate level. And, um, 
you know, do a 45 minute hour keynote. I mean, I just feel like you might as well watch my video. I mean, it's the same thing. So I was speaking to this client and again, early in my, early in my career uh, as, as a coach and what I'm doing now. And um, this, this client called me, they read a couple of my books. They said, Keith, listen, we want you to come out and we want you to do a keynote. I said, fantastic. What do you want? What do you want me to talk about? They said, well, you know, we want you to talk about the things based on your book. We'd like you to talk about um, maybe the difference between uh, you know, being the chief problem solver for your customers, but being a coach for your customers. And if you could share like a quick coaching framework or some questions that our salespeople can leave with, uh, that they can use immediately on their next, uh, their next conversation with, with any of their customers. And if you could also share with them, um, maybe a new prospect, prospecting system, uh, that would really help. Oh, also, um, what would be really important is if we can also uncover, um, and discuss the top 10 objections that they're faced with. And you have 45 minutes. Um, you know, I wish we can solve world peace and eradicate world hunger in 45 minutes. I unfortunately took the bait, you know, like a little clown, like a circus clown. I was like, okay, I'll, 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 I'll figure out how to put in basically three hours of content, excuse me, three days of content in 45 minutes. So I'm going through the program and I'm, and I'm working it down and I'm working it down and I'm siphoning it down and I send it back to the client. They said, okay, this is, this looks good, but can you weave this part in here? It's a client. I, I guess so. Okay. Well, can you take this part out? I don't think we need this part. Well, it's really important. It's probably one of the most important aspects in sales, but if you want me to take it out, I guess I will. And um, can you add this part instead? Sure. Before you know it, it was no longer Keith Rosen's keynote. It was this client's keynote that they wrote for Keith Rosen. All right. And I allowed myself and, and you know, it, it's, it could be a pretty heavy word, but to be manipulated by my clients thinking that this is the way to best serve them. It was one of the greatest failures of my life. That keynote flopped because number one, I wasn't being my authentic self. So I learned that lesson. Shame on me. Okay. I allowed someone else to design my life, my message. Okay. Rather than myself, which is robbing me of my uniqueness and my individuality. The second thing I failed them. I failed them as a client because I didn't challenge them. I didn't push back. I didn't say this will not work. This will work. So let me do what I know is best and right for you because that's why you're leaning on me. And I am dealing with this right now with another client. The sale, I could have, I could have closed this deal probably two months ago and I would be in the same situation that I shared with you now. And it's about a global rollout for, for, for a, a, a European based organization, uh, to train all their sales leaders and salespeople on, on coaching. And, um, they also wanted to integrate it around their own internal learning programs, which of course makes perfect sense. You know, their own sales enablement programs, make sure everything complements each other and my program reinforces it. So fast forwarding, here we are, we're, we're literally at the proverbial closing table a couple of months ago. And the, the, uh, the, my client and, and the other VPs, decision makers were going around and, uh, they're saying, okay, Keith, this is what you presented to us. And this is our internal learning program. And this is how we see figuring your stuff in here. So what I proposed to them was basically, let's say five, f three hour sessions. Okay. And what they came back and said to me is, okay, Keith, we're going to plug you into our session here. So you can have one, one hour session 
And then um, you'll have one one-hour session at the end to deliver all your content. And this is why the sales process has um, stretched out longer because I refuse to compromise my integrity, everyone. And this is my point. It is so easy right now to feel desperate to take what you can get. But I learned a long time ago, if you want a career or a business you hate, just work with customers you can't stand. And th this, this, uh, this opportunity, which I am still going through, I challenged my customer. I said, and again, in, of course, a very supportive way, what you will do will not work. What you will do will fail. I do not want to be part of that because I need to live in my integrity. So let's, let's reset. Let's hit the reset button, break this down, get a deeper understanding of where you're coming from so we can align this in a way where it's truly going to make the impact that you want. I enrolled them in a new conversation, but I didn't cow down to their demands. It would have been a massive failure. And this is one of the reasons why most companies can't sustain coaching. And this is why salespeople, you know, revert back to, you know, being the chief problem solver mode, you know, is, is that we need to be true to why our customers are calling us in the first place. You're the expert. You're the one who's not supposed to give them what they want, but tell them what they need, things that they, they don't even know, see, see on their own. That's your value. And that's what I mean about those top salespeople today are the ones that are willing to get into those challenging discussions and not be afraid to shy away. And I will promise every single person here this. You do this. You do this with the, the way that we talked about it. You will be texting me back and saying, thank you. That was, that's changed everything. It changed everything. And where I am with this other client I mentioned is we're getting to the point where I will be able to sleep well at night because they're now going to be implementing this, this, this initiative the right way in a way that's going to stick and achieve success. So that's what I mean about challenging customers today. And I think even though this is a concept that maybe we've talked about in the past, it is more important today than ever. Because remember, your, your customers don't have the answers now. Maybe they did six months ago, but they certainly don't now. Our biggest competitor, in my opinion, is change management, and, and part, part of that comes, comes from challenging, challenging and, and having, having that confidence to be able to, able to do that. that. And, and I love your example because it's, um, we've, we've all, all been there, right? right? We've all been pushed into that situation where we know that we've gone down a road we don't want to go, and it's hard to control that. You use, you use the term master the inner game of your self-management. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that if we all figured that out, it would be great. Um, but could you elaborate on what do you mean by master that inner game of self-management? So how much time do we have left? Uh, in, in a minute, I'm going to give everyone the secret to designing an ideal life, right? Here we go. And solve world peace. Uh, most people fail at time management because they, they it's sort of the, the, the concept I shared before, my concept around fear. Most people fail at time management because they look at it as one dimensional. Oh, time management means uh, to-do list. Time management means blocking out time in my calendar. That will always fail because there's three pillars, just like three pillars, three legs of a stool. If one of the legs are missing, the stool will fall. The other two pillars of, of, of masterful time management to design your ideal life is the language of time management and the inner game of time management. Okay. So the language of time management could be, how do you set boundaries? How do you say no? 
Are you good at saying no? Or are you a yesaholic? Well, if you're a yesaholic and you're not good at setting boundaries, it's going to be very difficult for you to own your day because everyone and everything else will own it for you. And now you live from a place of reaction rather than from a place of designed intention to truly create your life the way you want it today, which you can, which you can at home. So, you know, there's a couple of things. Number one, it's practicing extreme self-care, um, which we could touch on. But but to the inner game, um, I will share with you one strategy right now, one strategy that will change everything for you. Okay. And this is, this is it. And, I'm sorry. Okay, you ready? Okay, it would be bad if my internet connection dropped right now, right, Courtney? Uh, so here we go. Plan for the unplanned. Plan for the unplanned. Okay, uh, sounds like a paradox. So let's flush this out. Because this is what I mean about the inner game uh, of, of time management, uh, the strategy, and again, the languaging. In this part, this, this is strategy and inner game. Because if you look at your day, and you'll see why in a moment here, you look at your day and most people, most sales leaders would tell me, and by the way, I, I look at you, you guys are sales leaders to me, just so you know. Uh, sales leaders, um, you know, they're, they, they're managing their day and they say, Keith, I, you know, I have a 12 hour day or whatever the, you know, how many hours your typical work day is. And what, what would we typically do? The, the ones that are trying to better manage their time, which is more important now than ever, because there literally is no line between personal life and business, is they're blocking out time. And at the end of the day, they're frustrated because they're not getting everything done. And um, it's just a license to beat themselves up and make themselves wrong. And the reason why is because people are not planning for the unplanned. So now it becomes a mathematical equation. Let's say you work a 10-hour day. Okay. Now, Think about how many externalities you're hit with throughout your day. Now, let me define what an externality is. It's an external force that shows up that unless you had a crystal ball, you couldn't see it coming. That's going to consume your time, maybe mental space or energy. Maybe it's a flat tire. Well, maybe not now. Uh, maybe it's traffic. Maybe not now. Um, maybe... Uh, it could be uh, an emergency call with a customer, um, something that one, something that uh, you have to handle that cannot wait. Uh, something that, again, it's flying under your radar. You couldn't see it coming, but you have to handle it. So think about this. Most people will say, Keith, my whole day is externalities. Some people say, well, Keith, if I was to stop and think about it, if I put a 10-hour workday in and, uh, geez, Two hours of things that I couldn't plan for. Uh, probably let's let's say two. Let's say two hours of things that I couldn't plan for. Okay, so now we're doing the math, everyone. You have a ten-hour workday. You have two hours of externalities. How many hours do you actually have to plan for your workday? You have eight. You don't have ten. So either managers and salespeople, when they when they say to me, Keith, but you don't understand. I need that ten hours. Great. Well, wake up early. Become more efficient. Get rid of the things on your, on your, on your, uh, on your daily activity list that you probably are better off not doing or go to sleep later. Those are your only other options. Okay. Because, because those externalities are going to come whether you like it or not. So plan for the unplanned because distractions, they're simply events that you didn't plan for. Just plan for them. I love that. That's, that's, that's great. So, so we're, 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 
I think you know, we touched on that planning for the unplanned uh, quite frankly the bigger one and and again just make a note please and i'll happily send everyone what i call an adrenaline assessment um most salespeople, no judgment everyone i've worked with a lot of them okay you're talking to an ex-adrenaline junkie also most salespeople and managers are adrenaline junkies okay so how does this in any way shape or form impact you or your lifestyle as well as your performance because most people will look at adrenaline and say oh keith come on adrenaline's good you know i play sports it's you know i bike ride i play music i'm a big music fan shocker there you know that's that's good adrenaline healthy adrenaline yes it is but i'm not talking about that adrenaline i'm talking about the negative adrenaline i'm talking about how human beings will tap into any available energy source even if it causes difficulty or stress and similar to striking a match right that that friction causes heat right creates energy we will look for any available energy source adrenaline is an energy source now think of it this way uh, rhetorical question for any of you that in high school or in, in college you ever you ever pull an all-nighter you ever cram for a test you ever uh take the night before paper was due and stay up all night and finish it okay well what did you learn you learned that you could wait to the last minute and still be successful and then unfortunately we take this lesson into our work into our career and it doesn't serve us and and if you think it does it comes at a cost because when you're working on adrenaline the highs are high but then you crash hard and you know you're an adrenaline junkie i'll just throw some some quick uh, uh um, factors out there number one do you feel you work best under pressure number two do you have any unfinished tasks on your plate number three do you take on more tasks uh prior to making sure you uh finish the other tasks on your plate uh number four do you resist boredom Number five, does the idea of creating a structured routine freak you out and scare you? If you answer yes to any of these questions, everyone, welcome to the party. You're an adrenaline junkie. Of course, the adrenalism scale, uh, you know, swings to the extreme. Maybe you're a mild one. Maybe you're an extreme one. But here's the problem. If you're an adrenaline junkie, you're gonna you're you're on the adrenaline train. You're gonna look for any available opportunity to tap into adrenaline, overpromise, overcommit, um, get, create a crazy deadline, which you're gonna have to stay up all night to uh, to 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 achieve. Um, making promises to other people that, of course, even in your good intent, you want to help, but you're gonna wind up failing them because you won't be able to honor the commitments you make. So what I want for you is to tap into a healthier energy source. It's called momentum. It's called consistency in action. Consistency in thinking creates consistency in results. And that really speaks to uh, what, what Courtney brought up before about shifting from being a result-driven thinker to becoming a process-driven thinker. And, you know, on that note, uh, if you're always focused on the result, 
you're always focused on the future. If you're, if you're focused on the process, the process lives in the present. And I'm just, just talking about like your HR or your sales process, but how you think, how it transcends into the, the way you think as a critical thinker and a critical questioner. You know, are you only focused on result-driven questions like, you know, what's in my pipeline? How many calls do I have to make? Or are you focused on the quality of that? the process, taking the time to refine every step of the way. Are you interviewing your customers to ask them how they like to be sold these days? Are you asking your customers some bad ex experience they had maybe with some other vendors lately? Are you asking your customers how um, this has impacted their business and their life? If you're not asking these questions, then, then you know what? You're just sounding like every single person out there. You want your competitive edge? Listen to this again, because everything we talked about today with the great questions that, that I've been hearing, this is really going to be your springboard to make 2020 a great year. And we still can. I mean, I know everyone's saying that, oh, this is the worst year yet. But, you know, and people are saying, well, it can always get worse, but it can always get better. It can always get better. I, I, I love, I love this piece. piece. I, think I, think I think I invited my friends to the well, welcome to the party. <laughs> and put it this way, Courtney, everyone else who's like, oh, the perfectionist thing, oh, that's not me. Oh, adrenaline? No, no, no. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I just work well that way. They're lying to themselves. They'll come around eventually. They'll come around eventually. All right, so the first step is admitting. I'm an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> uh, so we do have a question out there. Um, move away from the assumptions um, when you when you sometimes fall into that assumption you can't get back on track what's the good oh my god well, like if there's like one question that could have been asked that's like get gold right there platinum um there's a couple of things actually number one and i'm again i'm i'm looking at everyone in the eye at the same time okay how much peer coaching are you doing with your peers? How much time are you spending uh, maximizing the intellectual capital on this call? How much time are you proactively scheduling calls with your peers and looking for some coaching and looking for some support? And oh my gosh, maybe even practicing coaching on your, on, on, on your peers and, and your coaching process that you want to bring to your customers. We all know it's a lot safer to practice on our peers and you're getting value. Are you leveraging pure coaching? You don't have to answer that because like most companies, the answer is no. But there is so much value that each of you can share. We need to be more mindful. We need to be proactive because this is not just about, you know, uh, mind share. This is also about um, avoiding the feeling of being um, um, isolated, avoiding the feeling of uh, like you're the only one going through this because I speak to a lot of people every day. And the majority of people will still feel alone and isolated and feel like, Keith, am I the only one feeling this way? Or am I the only one struggling with this? And the answer is no. The answer is no. And the more we connect with our team and our peers, the more you're creating a cohesive unit of, of a team that, that, that will collaboratively thrive together. I, I love that. I love that. And, 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 and Courtney, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off because there was that other part. No, please. When I, okay, so everyone, great billion dollar sales question. 
billion, two billion. Okay, two. I'm going to give you three of them. I actually have a list of 10 qualifying questions. Write that down. I'll send it to you as well. All right. That, like the best qualifying questions you could ask. So here is a question that when you're coaching, doesn't matter who you're coaching, customer, your boss, your peers. Great question. And this is a question you can ask yourself. What assumptions, if any, am I making around this? That's it. So they are, you're ready to have a conversation with a customer and maybe it's a long-term customer. Maybe it's a new prospect. Okay. Before you get on that call, what assumptions might you be making? Are you, are you making assumptions about their buying process, sales process, assumptions of what they expect from the meeting with you? Um, if you, if you, if you're making those assumptions, that means you don't have the questions to assess. Shift your assumptive statements to assessment questions. So that one question I ask customers all the time. So what assumptions might you be making about me? What assumptions might you be making about Capital One? What assumptions might you be making about the service and value we can deliver? That's a billion dollar question no one's asking. Because if you don't put that proverbial pink elephant out in the living room and face it, that assumption could be the very thing which absolutely sabotages that relationship and you will never know why. So that's a question that you ask your customers and it's a great question that when you're working with your, with, with your peers and you're, and you're looking for help or working through a challenge or a goal, okay, you know, if I'm working with anyone, it could be Tori, it could be Travis, it could be anyone that I'm working with. Hey, you know, you're coming to me, you want some, uh, you know, I want to kind of collaborate and dissect how we can, you know, bring this, bring this opportunity over the finish line and we're having this conversation. At one point, I'm going to ask you, so what assumptions might you be making around this? And I can tell you right now, that one question will create so many new possibilities when you're selling and when you're supporting your peers. I, 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 I love that. And, and you, you mentioned, mentioned something that kind of hit me a little, me a little bit, bit. And, and, I, and I think that we're in a world right now where it's, it's way, way more isolation, isolation and more more time that we need our peers um, than ever before. And those conversations. conversations and, and can also with um, um, stress. And I'd love to get your thoughts or some tips maybe on, on managing that stress because I, I, I think that even if they say we don't have stress, we are all living in a very stressful environment right now. Yeah. Um, do, did you happen to get the slides that we sent over? I know we sent them over late. If not, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat. I'm going to send them to you guys anyways. So you have them. Basically, the two slides that I'll be sending, one is about um, uh, the power of resilience, um, and it gives you uh, the statistics that I have measured over my 30 years of doing this is um, when is the sale actually made? And it basically walks through the percentages of, okay, is the sale made on the first touch, the second touch, the third touch? And it talks about, you know, most, most um, customers won't respond until the 11th touch. Now, of course, Touch points today are different, but we could also be creative with touch points. And at the same time, you look at that and say, okay, it takes 11 touch points to finally connect with a prospect. And then the other part of it is guess when salespeople quit following up. Most salespeople quit by the fourth follow-up call. So if all things are considered equal, 
the salesperson who wins is the salesperson that's the most has the greatest endurance and resilience and that's just mathematically speaking from a point the other point Courtney to your question is managing stress managing anxiety and I'll, I'll send what I do um, every day I have a, a, a morning ritual and uh, many of you here may have it I'll just share personally what what mine is uh, so when I wake up uh, before I get out of bed I do five minutes of gratitude um, and my friend who was a cancer survivor um, uh, she, she taught me this and basically I'll open my eyes and before I get out of bed I'll say and doesn't matter what religion you practice or God you believe in uh, th thank you God thank you God for having a bed to sleep in thank you God for my my beautiful healthy wife uh, sleeping next to me thank you God that I have eyes to see thank you God that I have legs, legs to get out of bed thank you God that my three beautiful healthy children are downstairs thank you God for a home to sleep in you know, those are the things that we take for granted every day until we see someone that doesn't have those things. And once I do that, and I'm really living, you know, to me, I, I, every day is a blessing. Every day is a new opportunity to reinvent anything you can do. So every day is that gift. Uh, after I do my gratitude, I'll go into my office and before I turn on my computer, uh, I'll sit, I'll sit like this, just in either in my, my couch or or at my desk and I'll just do, I don't know, maybe about five minutes, 10 minutes of just deep breathing. You know, whether I count to 50 deep breaths, maybe that takes five minutes or 10 minutes, whatever it does. Uh, and that really just centers me and it clears my mind. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I'll go to sleep. My mind never stops. So I'll go to sleep with a thought and then wake up trying to finish the thought I went to sleep with. So, so I need to figure out a way to turn my brain off. And I know when I'm feeling off throughout the day, I'll look back and say, I didn't, I didn't do my meditation. I didn't do my 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Everyone has 10 minutes for your own self-care. And that just 10 minutes centers me. Um, it just allows all the clutter to get out of my head, focus on my priorities, and then I start my day. So um, it's those, again, you know, that's, and what a great tie-in. That's such a, that's such a one degree moment. You know, it's, it's just 10 minutes. It's 10 minutes. One degree, that 10 minutes that you do that, and whatever it is for you that brings you to that place of peace and, and centeredness and happiness, that will compound over time and allow you to create the life you want today. Keith, that's, that's very, very yeah i mean gosh you sure we have some extra time um i know i jotted a bunch of stuff down here what can we do? Let's see. Last minute things. The first thing that pops up um, is you have to take care of yourself. You know, if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. All right. And that means spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. Uh, now is the time. There's no excuses. Okay. We do have more time than we had before. I mean, I certainly have a lot more time. I'm used to traveling two weeks out of the month. 
uh, and I do miss it. Um, and it seems like my wife misses it as well because she keeps asking me, so when's your next business trip? I'm just, she actually does ask me that, but she says it's out of, out of love. But what you can do today to start making an impact on yourself and on others, be present. Live in the moment. That meditation thing is not just about decompression and focus, but it's about being where we are today. You know, you wake up in the morning and you're constantly focused on what's next. You're going to turn around and say, where did my life go? And, and this is something I have to coach every leader on, every salesperson on, because we're so results driven. But life doesn't happen next. Life happens in the now. Okay. Every day, especially today, it illustrates how, you know, there is no more certainty. And, and, and the only thing we have control over are three things. And maybe this is a, a, a great, uh, great place to wrap up. Um, there's only three things in life we can't control. Um, we control our actions. We control our, our attitude, mindset, okay, um, beliefs. And we control our reactions. We control the reactions that we have to the events around us. And I feel blessed that I learned a long time ago that it's not the events that create or shape our life, but it's how we respond to them that create the richness and the magnificence that we want in our life today. And I find it interesting that with those only three things that we control, we spend more time focusing on the things we can control than mastering the things we can. No, I don't think you're getting rid of me that quickly. Pleasure's mine, everyone. Uh, please know that, uh, please, you better make sure you connect with me on social media. I expect a LinkedIn invite right after this because I have stuff that I share on LinkedIn that I don't share anywhere else and on Twitter. And uh, I also want to make sure everyone has my mobile number before we wrap up. Um, I take what I do to, to heart. Um, it's not I am a coach. It's who I am. And my core value is making an impact. So if you need me, you're not alone. Okay. My, my, my personal email is Keith R at KeithRosen.com. My mobile number is 516-231-2774. So if you need me, reach out. Like it or not, I'm your coach for life. So please, everyone, stay safe, stay grateful, stay healthy. And I wish you all extreme success. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. So, 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 so now, so now I'm, I'm turning, turning it over, over to, to um, Jamie, Jody, and Jim so that, um, you, can you can give New England a prize for the best t-shirt, right? Oh, shit.